We're going to take our Bibles to 2 Samuel 11. And while you're turning there, I want to add my, my thanks to the Lord for the ministry of Ron Hamilton. Um, he's a great blessing. And he, you, you, what's amazing about what he went through is that everything that God brought into his life, it, from the outside, I don't know, but I, I, I'm not on the inside track of everything that happened, but Brother Ron Hamilton was the man who wrote that song, and he's, he was, uh, he, they, they found cancer in his eye when he was a young man uh, in, his, in his late 20s, early 30s, somewhere in there, and he, God used that in his life, and he turned that thing around and became Patch the Pirate. And because he became Patch the Pirate, uh, God used him in a greater way because of his patch, without his eye, probably than he would have had with both of his eyes. And he went on to serve the Lord, and his son uh, committed suicide on Mother's Day. And uh, just a, a tragic scenario. And out of that, they took the melody and harmony that his son had written and wrote the song, You Are Always Good. And uh, then towards the end of his life, he, he uh, had dementia and uh, was unable to really communicate well. But God gave him an unusual iteration of that disease. He ended up smiling almost all the time. And uh, boy, I know, you know, I don't want to have that disease it's a, it's, a, it's a terrifying thing, very difficult. But if you had to go out smiling, it's amazing. It's amazing. And it, to me, it's just an example of, of a man like David who had myriad of trials and tribulations, and the Lord just squeezed joy out of him. And he wrote that song after, this one we just sang, after he lost his eye, Rejoice in the Lord. And he went out rejoicing. And I want to encourage your heart because you can finish your course with joy. You can. It's going to be really hard and it's going to change everything about you. But you can finish your course with joy if you'll trust in the Lord. So whatever you're going through right now, ask the Lord to make you a joyful Christian, not in spite of it, because of it. Take this thing, Lord, and make me a joyful Christian. And you might be crying tears of joy, or you might have mixed emotions, joy, sorrow, you can't tell what it is. But if you surrender to the Lord, he can take it. And uh, how many, I have a question. How many here have had cancer before or have cancer now? Raise your hand, would you? Look around. That's a lot of people. A lot of people have dealt with cancer. And uh, I'm thankful for the medical profession, professionals, uh, the work that they do, the dedication they have. But, but you recognize that that God can take something as horrible as cancer and can use it to bring glory to himself. And uh, you, many of you, I know your stories personally, and you are an example to me and to so many others of your joy. So let's keep going, Christian. What do you think? Now, I say that to you because we've got to finish out this chapter in 2 Samuel 11, and it's slightly discouraging, okay? It's the other way. It's the other way. <clears throat> but I think at the end of it, we'll find that... Ultimately, God is in charge. We're coming to the end of 2 Samuel chapter 11. And uh, we've reached the bottom now of David's slide. And he is lying in a heap uh, in a ruin. But the problem is he doesn't seem to recognize that. He doesn't know that he's ruined. He's done and finished. So much of his life has been wrecked. 
But we're going to step back and we're, we're going to look at it from a, a, a broad perspective. Let's read verse 26 and 27. And uh, when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. And when the mourning was past, David sent and fetched her to his house, and she became his wife and bare him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. We've looked at this whole story, and the Holy Spirit has, has written it down in such a way that we've looked at David, we've looked at Bathsheba, we've seen Uriah, and uh, we've seen the messenger, we've seen Joab. But it really was all about the human participants in the story. Nothing was said about the Lord. It's almost as if God decided, I am not going to present myself in this story at all. And it's it's because it it probably makes sense because he had been completely excluded from it. Where was God? Where was God? Well, God had had been asked to butt out. We don't don't want you around God. Uh, David, his deeds are recorded. We see those. He acted like a fool. He had dismissed God from his mind, his heart. Um, Bathsheba, uh, apparently... Uh, she was not upset by this episode. You know what Scripture tells the virgin if she is being attacked in the field in Deuteronomy chapter 22? What does it tell the virgin to do? To cry aloud. And there's nothing in Scripture to record that Bathsheba pushed back and said this should not be done. And we understand she was not a virgin, but, and we understand this was the king, and that, that females at this time and culture did not have as much autonomy and, and liberty, perhaps. But the law of Moses does suggest that silence implies consent to a certain degree. And we know that she did not call out to God from the record. She did not call out to man. We see Uriah. <clears throat> Uriah is seen as a noble man, an honorable man. But the Lord does not step in to protect him or preserve him. He is a type of the persecuted believer. He's a type of a martyr. This was the hour of sin, the hour of darkness. That's what Jesus said when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, the the prince of this world has come. It's, It's the hour of darkness. It's your time. The wages of sin is death. Joab Joab did not raise any objection, even though as a military leader, he knew that this was a foolish, it's a fool's errand to set some of the special forces soldiers in a place where they could, nothing could happen except uh, total destruction, annihilation. Why would you do it? They did not ask to do it, as in the case of Black Hawk Down. Special forces soldiers said, send us into the hot zone. We'll go in on purpose. Uriah did not ask to do it. There was no one to rescue. It was just an opportunity to be killed. And apparently he didn't have any grief about it. So this chapter, when you, when you go through this chapter, you can see how it must have felt. And I can see how it lines up with where we are today. Because how many people get away with stuff? How many abhorrent abhorrent crimes are committed and nobody is called to justice? 
A guy gets a slap on the wrist, goes to jail, and he gets out. I mean, he goes from living on the streets to living in a, in a, a place where he gets three hots and a cot, cable television. I've never been to jail, but these are the things that I'm told. I know that it's jails, no picnic, but you've just killed somebody. And now you end up walking the streets again. You know what the Bible says in Ezekiel 8, 12? They said about the time frame in Ezekiel's day, they said this, the Lord seeth us not, the Lord hath forsaken the earth. Forsaken the earth. It feels that way sometimes, doesn't it? You know what Daniel chapter 4 talks about the watchers? You know there are watchers here from God on this earth. Have you ever heard that phrase in Scripture? Look it up. You'll see it. Watchers, what are they? Some kind of angelic being that is deputized by God to watch what's happening. And they report it to God. And you'll see this sometimes in popular culture and movies or, or comic books or whatever. They'll talk about the watchers. They'll talk about these supernatural beings. And you know, sometimes you wonder, are there any watchers? Does God even know what's going on in this world? If there, if there is a God, maybe he's bored with humans. Maybe he's fed up with humans. Maybe he's just parked himself on the other side of the galaxy and said, you guys do what you do. And when you've killed yourselves, then I'm going to step in. That's the way that it feels. Can you imagine what the friends of Uriah felt at this time? What the people who knew the inside track, what they thought. But as the chapter comes to a close, the Spirit of God writes a little postscript. And he transports us from the scene as men see it. And he says, I want you to look at this from my perspective, from my throne. For instance, you look at this in verse 26. It says, when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. What God hath joined together was not put asunder by adultery. It was not put asunder by the cover-up. What God had joined together was not put, together, put, put, put asunder by the death, the murder of Uriah. Bathsheba belonged and belongs to Uriah, the wife of Uriah. Uriah's gone, but Bathsheba's still the wife. And it tells us that God is still holding on to what he said. He saw what had happened. He did see. He was aware. And he did not approve of these actions. Thou thoughtest, the psalmist said, thou thoughtest that I, this is, this is God speaking to man, thou thoughtest that I was altogether such an one as thyself, but I will reprove thee. We got to remember that in all of the sin, that has come in our lives, all of the darkness of our culture, God is aware. He knows what is happening. Back in the palace and in the home down the street, life is going on. Bathsheba's mourning for her husband. That's, that's tradition. That's protocol. She's required to do that, and she does it. <clears throat> she goes to the funeral, a flag-draped a flag coffin. They play taps. Her husband was in the military. She wears black with a veil. It's not what scripture says, but you understand the analogy today. 
and, and she is handed the flag, and, and someone says, on the behalf of a grateful nation, we'd like to present this flag, and she receives it. Now, the honor was right to be given, but can you really say that she was the right person to give it to? Who else would they have given it to? Would they give that flag, the tri-cornered flag, to Joab? Not hardly. Well, well, maybe they should give it to the king. Because he died on a worthwhile mission. No, it wasn't. He died on a suicide mission. And it wasn't even a suicide mission. He didn't choose to do it. He was told to go and kill himself, basically. You see how sin ruins everything? It, it just it corrupts even the very honor the honor that was found in, 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 in greater loveth no man than this than a man laid down his life for his friends. And even that was thrown out in the garbage. Sin has a way of corrupting things. Let me, let me implore you. Listen, those little sins that you think are not a big deal, you may end up hating yourself and the world for not dealing with them. You may, hate peop- you may end up hating everybody in your life. You may, you may end up hating yourself. And saying, I can't believe I'm this far. I don't, I don't, even, want to, I don't even want to live any longer. That's, that's where David ought to be, but he's not there. David takes possession of this woman, the object of his lust. And can you imagine, was it a royal wedding? I don't know. He took her to be his wife after the morning. How long? We don't know takes this needy wood. Maybe he even looked like the gallant knight rescuing this damsel who is in distress. This, this widow who is now destitute because her honorable soldier has fallen in battle. And now David, after the morning has passed, he comes in and he says, let me take you into my house, Bathsheba, and I'll take care of you. And can you imagine, perhaps the ladies were sitting there saying, oh, it's so sweet. Oh, it's so sweet. You sometimes think, really, God? You're going to let that happen? You're, you're going to let people have that kind of a perspective on what happened? They're going to walk away and clap and applaud and say, oh, it was so sweet to have such a wonderful king. Listen, don't forget, people do not deliver the final judgment. God delivers the final judgment. Everybody in the world may be okay with what's happened in your life and what you've done. They may say, oh, don't worry about it. But God has not forgotten. You may have convinced yourself and said, it doesn't matter. Everybody else has done it. I've gotten away with it. What's the big deal? Let's just let bygones be. It's in the past. Water under the bridge. But God has not forgotten. If the tale ended right here, we'd have reason to believe That you can get away with stuff. The worst sins against God can be committed without consequence. I mean, you see them on their honeymoon. They have the royal wedding and everybody's clapping and back then you could throw rice, you know. Now you can't throw anything, blow bubbles. Can't throw anything. Do you realize the toxicity of those bubbles that we're blowing? They go into the ground, they kill the grass, and they'll kill the worms. I'm sorry, get sidetracked. Always says, trying to always trying to fix things and making it worse, aren't we? 
But they go out on the honeymoon. Okay, so now they're sending pictures back on Facebook, posting on the cruise. All right? And here's David and Bathsheba. You know, this man makes me so happy. And, and, and can you imagine the sister of Bathsheba? Parents of Bathsheba. We know what the, what the grandfather of Bathsheba did. He carried Ahithophel. He carried bitterness for the rest of his life. Ahithophel actually ended up killing himself because he was so frustrated. And most likely that frustration stemmed all the way back to a time where Bathsheba, his granddaughter, had, had gotten away with this and had been involved with David. They're smiling, right? He's got his arm around her. They're looking. And then, and then guess what? Then a little baby comes along. Oh, look at the little baby. Isn't that so cute? They're such a great couple. It's so nice. You see, guys, sometimes, sometimes we forget that God doesn't forget. We, we think, well, it's, we're all just humans. Yeah, because it didn't happen to you. They, they didn't steal your spouse. They, they, they didn't kill your, your husband. They didn't lie and cheat and backstab. That's why it's okay. If it had happened to you, you wouldn't be so quick to say, let's all just get past it. Listen, we all make mistakes. Be careful of that. You see, sometimes we're so, we're so hung up on, we've got to be forgiving and tolerant. But, but if, if there is no such thing as sin, then there's no such thing as grace. People want to talk about grace. Lord, give us grace. Lord, throw us in the ocean of your grace. God, baptize us in grace. Waterboard us with your grace, God. We just want to be completely covered in grace. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. What that means is grace is only necessary because of sin. God didn't look down in your life and say, you're such a wonderful person. I like you. And so I'm going to give you grace. You didn't need grace if you didn't have sin. Are you following what I'm saying? We hear about grace, grace, grace. What about God? What about what God thinks of sin? Now, I understand God has grace. Some of you have been through some things and you understand the definition of grace. Because you know what your sin was worthy of. You know what you deserve because of your sin. But may I tell you that if you don't understand the consequences of sin, you can never fully appreciate grace. Grace is you not getting what you deserve. Instead of judgment, God gives grace. So before you rush past it, and parents, let me tell you, if your kids want to say to you, You know, or one, one, if you feel in your heart, well, I should show grace. If you've never showed justice, then you don't need to show mercy. I may have to say that another time because it can sound really bad. If you've always said to your kids, I'm not going to punish you for that. You are not teaching them grace. You are teaching them lasciviousness. You're teaching them license. You're teaching them that you can speed and you never get pulled over. You can steal and nobody. What I hear the other day, I think, I think my dad was telling me somebody came in and demanded a bunch of stuff from the store for reparations. They, 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 people just walk in in broad daylight and they'll just steal. And the security guards are told, don't stop them unless they steal more than X amount of merchandise. 
Why? It's not worth their time and effort. It's not worth the possible litigation. People just sin without any consequence. Why? Because we've overdosed on the side of grace. We, we, we really haven't overdosed on grace. What we've done is we've misdefined grace. Because we're unwilling to stand up and say, no, you will pay the fine. You will pay the fine. If your kids can wiggle out of every punishment that you give them, you're not a good parent. You shouldn't discipline them when you're mad at them. You should discipline when they break the law. You shouldn't discipline them because you're upset, because you're stressed. Because here's what's going to happen. You discipline your kids, and you, you, you only discipline them when you're mad, and then you feel guilty because you, knew, you know that you were in the flesh, and you lashed out, and you didn't have control, and you didn't do it properly, so now you're apologizing for telling your kids that they were wrong. Listen, if you've done wrong, you deserve to be corrected and rebuked and punished. What is that punishment? You don't come to God and say, God, listen, I mean, you know the only reason why there is such a thing as grace? Because Jesus Christ died on the cross, as in died, as in murdered. That's why there's such a thing as grace. It's not like God looked down and said, you guys, hey, stop, stop. Now get along. That would not solve the sin problem. The only way sin could be solved is through death. You know, that's, Jesus, that's why he died on the cross. He had to die. He had to pay the punishment, uh, 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 pay the, the fine for your, your sin and mine. He, died, he shed his blood. That was the punishment. So we're talking about grace. We're talking about mercy. We also have to talk about justice. This is what it, the word that brings us to our senses in verse 27. She became his wife and bare him a son, but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. I thought I got away with it, but I thought God didn't know or God didn't care, but I thought the way was, was open for me and everything was flowers and perfume from now on, but I thought God was love, and I thought God didn't judge, but I thought the Lord just was going to let me be happy, but you see, the reproofs of instruction are the way of life. The Bible says that when the righteous smite us, it is a kindness, but the thing David had done displeased the Lord. There's a God in heaven, and he is interested in the affairs of what goes on. I saw a video one time of young people, little uh, five, six, seven, eight-year-olds, and they put them in front of this chocolate on a table. You ever see this video? And then they, they leave, the, the adults left, and, they, and they, they told the kids, don't touch the chocolate, we'll be back. And then they waited and waited and waited and waited. And you know what the kids reasoned? The kid reasons, well, they're not here, but the chocolate's here, so I'm going to eat the chocolate, Right? And, and they, the reason why, because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. You know why God allows you to sin without any, any kind of consequence whatsoever? Because he wants to make sure when he judges you that you know what you did. He, he, sink, I mean, he sets the hook. He lets that thing go all the way down in there. So you got away with texting 
or, or being on that, you know, friendship online for how long? You know why God allows that to go and go and go and go and go? Because your heart is not right with him. When your heart is right with God, he arrests your attention quickly. But when your heart is not right with God, he lets you go and go and go and go. So that when you get it, you really get it. I want to keep a short account with God. I don't want to go so far to where I say, wow, I don't think I can even survive. I'd rather have just a tickle of my conscience. I'd rather just God say, hey, hey what, what are you doing? And I, oh, I, I, yeah. But if you've been pushing back against him over and over again all your life, and God says through your parents or through an authority or through your spouse or through a friend, hey, what are you doing? And you keep pushing back. You know what God's going to start doing? He's going to stop pushing you. And he's going to let you go. He still sees everything that you're doing. He's given you more line to hang yourself. Yeah, and make that noose. Make it a little bit smaller. There you go. And then wrap it around. He's letting you make your own noose. And there's going to come a point where he's going to jerk that thing. And you're going to find out God is not happy with what you've been doing. The God who created all things for his pleasure, Romans, uh, Revelation 4.11 is displeased with the Lord. So he's going to step on the scene. You know, it was God who said, thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not kill. It was God who said, thou shalt not covet. Thou shalt not bear false witness. It, it was God who, who, who had written all of those commandments. And now he has watched this man to whom he gave the throne of power and authority in Israel. And he gave him the, uh, an opportunity to rule. And he's watching that man violate every single one of those commandments. All of those commandments that I just listed. James chapter 5 says, you have lived in pleasure on the earth and been wanton. You have nourished your heart as in the day of slaughter. And that is David. His power and his wealth allowed him to do what he wanted to do. And nobody could stop him. But the Lord. The Lord. You see, what's happened is David's not only harmed himself, he's not only harmed the soldiers, his neighbors, his chain of command, he's not only harmed his court. Those are all sins, but they're lesser crimes. You know what David has done? He has harmed the very name of God himself. And the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. So, as far as we can tell, in verse 26, David is pleased, but God's not. It looks kind of like Bathsheba is pleased, but God is not. David's at rest in his home, but God is about to visit him. David is sitting calmly with his stolen wife and his illegitimate son, and God is mad. David has no care, no thought for the Lord, but God has turned his thoughts to David. The Bible tells us the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. I want you to take your Bibles and look at Psalm 139. Psalm 139. I hope everybody here lives a long life, blessed from God. I hope that you live and walk in truth and sincerity. I hope that your life is a source of blessing, and it can be, and it ought to be. And if, but if that's the case, you must learn 
this lesson. Psalm 139, look at verse 7. He says, Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. There is a camera in every room you go in that is piped directly to the throne room of God. You cannot get away from God's eyes. Now we see, we see Psalm 139 and we're grateful for this. It, it can be a very comforting passage as long as you're not trying to hide something from God. But it can be a terrifying passage if you're running from God. Listen, there is no app. There is no private incognito dark ghost mode that you can go to where God does not see. He sees it all. And he's not saying a word. I can remember when I, my kids were young. I can remember that as a, as, a, as a copy of when I was young. And you know what you're doing, and you know that something you're not doing right, and you're disobeying your parents. And I remember looking up and seeing my mom or my dad and things saying, oh, no. And then I realized they had been watching. It wasn't like they just stumbled upon me. They've been actually sitting there considering what I was doing. I sometimes would watch my kids, my boys, from an upstairs uh, bedroom window and just watch them interact with one another. And, you know, they were eating dirt or whatever they used to do, you know, jumping off the garage roof onto the trampoline or whatever, you know. And, uh, and I would just sit there and watch. And sometimes I would yell out to them, you know. Remember one time they had, they, they had a party next door, and, and these guys, these jokers, they had a laser, and they just pointed at people, you know. People are, you know, half drunk out of their mind. What's going on, man? Right? It was, it was wild stuff. But, but, but sometimes I would call them out, right? But sometimes I would just let them go. And I remember a couple times where I would, I would, I would walk towards them, they're doing whatever they're doing, and they know they're about, they don't know anything about me coming, but I know what's about to come. And I walk up to them while they're doing what they're doing, and I would say, hey, what are you doing? And the look on their face. Now, my girls, they never sinned, right? Right? The look on their face. They realized they were caught. They were caught, and they were, I had them dead to rights, and they couldn't argue a thing. Could it be that God's allowing you to continue in your sin so that for once in your life, you won't argue with the truth? For once in your life, you'll listen to God when he says you're wrong. You've argued yourself out of every situation. You always got a reason why it was not as bad and I didn't really mean to and I would. Would you just stop for once? 
Would you stop lying about the truth? Would you just let God be God and say he's right and I'm wrong? Maybe God's letting you out, letting that out. And at some point he's going to set that hook and you're a goner. You are, you will know that he's true and you are not. Listen, we've got to hang on to this thing of truth and justice and righteousness as believers. If we're not careful, we let it all go. And we say, well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm no better. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Time out. A sinner saved by grace. That grace came from a bloody cross. That, what does that mean? That doesn't mean you go around and you smack kids, they spill their milk. We don't do that in our house. I'm not saying that. I'm saying if you always bend over backwards and ah, it's okay, let it go. Listen, I've done worse than that. Parents, be careful of that with your kids. You're not helping them. You know, sometimes I found in my own life where I've been, I consider myself to be more merciful and gracious. You know what happens? I can be stuck I could be stuck up, filled with pride that I didn't bring justice in this scenario. I, I, I'm the nice parent. What, what, is, what, what do you think about the truth? And what do you think God thinks about how you're interacting with the truth? What do you think God thinks about how you're treating what's right and wrong? We've got to be careful. We don't sell God out in our, our, our rush to be considered kind and gracious and merciful. I just want to be considered a nice guy. I just want to be a nice guy. What about God? What about what's nice for him? What about what's true? Don't you want your kids, don't you want people around you to enjoy the true grace and mercy of God? They never will unless they humble themselves to the truth. A person cannot be saved unless they admit that they can't save themselves. And they won't admit that they can't save themselves if they're stuck on themselves. They've got to realize they're a sinner. And once they realize that, then they can cry out to God and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I don't deserve it, but I'm asking for it. Here's David. He forgot that God can see everything. Even when all the soldiers left for the battle, God could still see you in your bedroom. Even when Uriah was dead and in the ground, God could still see how you talked and acted with his wife. God's on the scene. And he is too loving and he is too holy to let you violate his word with impunity. He is going to bring the hammer down at some point. Now recognize, I want you to recognize that I have no desire to hurt anybody's feelings. I'm not trying to make you feel crushed beyond repair. But I know this. If you'll learn from this, you can be helped and be kept from this path of shame that David had to walk. And if you don't, you will walk the same path. Our Lord here has shown himself merciful. But we've got to be careful in our culture, in our, in our time that we're living in, that we also know about God's justice. We have to know that what God says, he will do. The Bible says, I want you to take your Bibles lastly tonight and look at Galatians chapter 6. I'm going to read a passage to you from Deuteronomy, Galatians chapter 6. Moses is talking, he said, but if ye will not do so, according to the law, he said, if you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. Your sin will find you out. 
Galatians chapter 6, look at verse 7. Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. Yes, this is true. This is true whether you decide to deconstruct your faith and leave church and never come back, walk away from Christianity. This is true. This is true if you stay in church and live a Pharisee's life. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. It's just as true as you put those seeds in the ground, they come up, you put your sin into your life, and it will reap a harvest of sin. Now, I'm grateful to tell you, and, 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 and I, I can hear, you know, the angry preacher, you can, you, it's a classic, he's an icon. He's the easily hated person because everyone thinks, well, no, well, anyone that likes me lets me do what I want. Anybody that says don't do it hates me. Okay, I understand. People are upset about that. But I want you to see the opposite side of this truth as well. It's not just whatever sin you do will reap a harvest of pain and suffering in your life. Look what he says at the end of verse number 8. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. You see, you can sow to your spirit. Well, what's sowing to your flesh? Well, nobody needs to tell you that. You know how to sow to your flesh. But what's sowing to the spirit? Sowing to the spirit is to invest time in things that please God. What pleases God? Well, you know what pleases God. Spending time with him pleases him. Uh, Reading your Bible, right? Meditating on the things of God. You see, if we're not careful, we do all the things we shouldn't do, and we talk about and think about doing all the things that we should do, but we never do them. We've got to say, oh, listen, I've invested enough. The time past in our, in our, in the, in our past has, has sufficed us to live after the flesh. We don't have to live anymore to the flesh. I'm going to take some time, and I'm going to invest in the things of the Spirit. What is the Spirit like? The Spirit loves the Bible. The Spirit loves to pray. You can invest in that. The Spirit loves kindness. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace, long-suffering. You can invest that in your children's lives, in your spouse's life. Hey, listen, the, the, our flesh says, what are we going to do when we get home? We got to eat. We got to go to sleep. I, I want to, you know, entertain myself in some way. And I'm going to get up. I have to go to work. I have to, you know, I do what I have to do. But what I really have time, I just want to do what I want to do. Okay. How are you different from an unsafe person? You see, if you have the Holy Spirit of God in you, you have an opportunity to, to put some seed in ground that will reap everlasting life. It's beyond what even your unsaved coworker would ever do. They can work out. They can meditate. They can, imp- they can go on vacation. They, they can have nice cars and fix up their house. They can do all that kind of stuff. But they can't invest in spiritual things and see a harvest. You can. I can. I can be a better Christian next year than I am today. And here's the awesome secret of it. I don't have to really work hard at it. I just have to yield to the spirit who is in me and do what he tells me. Now, it's going to take discipline. It's going to take work. 
But Christ said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. It's not me figuring out how to be like Jesus. It's me dying to myself and saying, I want to do what he wants me to do instead of what I want to do. Rather than my little plan for my life, you know, by how many planners are there out there? I mean, nobody, everybody, apparently there's no plans whatsoever. Everybody's got to get a planner. And still our lives are a shambles, right? I've got to plan my entire life. How about this? Let God plan your life. Think about this week. And maybe you've got all the colored markers and you've got the little sticky notes and you've got everything, the highlighters, and everything is just nailed down completely. There's nothing wrong. I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. I'm saying, why don't you let God move that pen? Why don't you let God put the sticky note where he wants to put it? Why don't you let God plan out your week? Well, you know, Tuesday I'm planning to get up. That's good. Why don't you say, Lord, what do you want me to do on Tuesday? Well, I don't have the luxury like some of you. I got to go to work. What if you were to say, God, what do you want me to do when I have to go to work? Still a privilege to work and make money. Yes, it's a privilege that we sometimes take for granted here in America. When, when I have to go and put on the yoke of iron down there at the factory or whatever it is, what do you want from me, God? Because I'm really wearing your yoke. It's, it's not what they're telling me to do. By the way, I don't think anybody put a gun to your head and said you have to work here, right? You chose to, yeah, I'll, I'll work there. That's why it's so interesting. People are just miserable, miserable, miserable. You're not, you're not mad really at your authority. You're mad at God. God forced me to stay here. You wouldn't say that. No, it's the boss. It's your, you know, what all, everybody else. Hey, here's the thing. If God's got you there, be grateful for where you are and say, thank you, Lord. How can I live to the spirit? How can I sow to the spirit this week? Maybe I can, maybe I can go in, in, in the Bible and I can click like or I can click heart on a, one of these verses. Maybe I could repost that in my heart, what I read. Oh, man, I'm retweeting that. Maybe I can take what the, what the world does, and I can do that for God. You see, God, God gives us an opportunity to actually see a harvest in our life of spiritual things. We've looked at David, and it's a dark, discouraging, despairing chapter, but God has his eyes on it the whole way. God also is looking at you, when you do what you can to serve the Lord. And you say, I don't know how to do this, and I don't think it even matters. Oh, it matters. He that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. You take that gospel tract. I should give out more. You gave out one. That's better than zero. I only read one chapter of the Bible this week. Well, you... Yeah, you should read more. You can read more than one chapter, especially if you're spending a lot of time on, you know, entertainment. You could probably cut some of that and read more. But hey, you read a chapter. That's sowing to your spirit. Well, I, I wasn't real good with my kids this week. Well, listen, you sat down and you looked in your child's face and you listened to them. Even if you could barely stand it, you did it. Hey, you invested something. Yeah, you're not perfect. But don't listen to the devil. The devil will tell you, if you're not top of the heap, the best Christian, forget it. And let me guess what he's going to tell you. Go back and live the way you've always lived. Just be a slob. Just entertain yourself. Just fill yourself with all kinds of sensory uh, 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 stimuli. 
Just, just do whatever you feel like, because that's where you rest who you are. No, no, no. Step out of that thing. Step away from that. I'm not going to live that life all week this week. I'm going to do something for God. I'm going to get on my knees and I'm going to pray and I'm going to pray until my flesh stops whining. I'm going to keep talking to God, even though my flesh says, this is probably enough, right? It's probably enough. You've been doing a lot. Like That's a lot. Wow. Shut up. I'm investing in God. You can sit down and watch a two hour movie while texting Sensory, I mean, you don't have any sensory deprivation whatsoever. You're just filling, fill, fill, fill. Everything's fine, great, great. You sit down, you try to pray for two seconds. You're like, wow, I'm a martyr. This is tough. <laughs> you know, reading your Bible. Oh, man, I've got to get busy. I get, hey, relax. You can invest in this thing. You, you can go next door and talk to your neighbor. And here's what I would say. Well, they are not going to get saved. I've talked. Listen, make them some cookies. Kneel down and pray for 10 minutes, 15 minutes for your neighbor and just talk to God about him. Tell him your frustrations, tell him all that stuff, and then beg God to save him. And guess what? You stand up, they may or may not get saved that day. It doesn't matter. You're investing in spiritual things. God can take care of that. You're praying and saying, God, I'm investing in this thing. You told me, you know what happened with David? David didn't have a plan to follow God. So what did he do? He followed his flesh. And he just kept following his flesh and following his flesh. And he never said, time out, stop. This is it. I'm done. He kept floating down the river. Don't float down the river this week, Christian. Stop. Swim out towards shore and say, listen, I'm only here for X amount of time. Some of you, you feel pain, constant pain. That's, let that be a reminder that your time on earth is not forever. Invest in the things of God. Maybe you need to unfriend some people on social media and stop following their drama and their nonsense. Maybe you need to stop watching that show. It's not helping you. You can feel it corrupting your soul. Stop watching it. Maybe some of you need to stop hanging around with some friends because their mouths are dirty. If they're not dirty, they just have this very sensual, earthy, devilish way about them. Pull away from them. Well, they're going to hate me. Well, ask God for wisdom on how to do that. You you can just say, I have an appointment. I got to read my Bible. You you can just say, I got to meet with a friend. I got to pray. You pull away from all that stuff and invest in, in, in the spirit and you're going to find life coming up. When's the last time you actually tried to pray for someone to see them saved and you actually did something towards that end? I'm telling you, when you do that, you're going to start sensing life everlasting spring up in your spirit. If it's been a long time, you may think it doesn't happen, but it still happens. People still get saved. And yeah, some of you got some burdens, you got trials and and, and tribulations you're going through, and things are not the same. There's a world out there that is rough, tough, and hard to bluff. But can I remind you, it is still possible to live a life that pleases God and is a joyful life. You could end up like Brother Ron Hamilton, signing off with a smile and saying, Lord, I'm here. I'm ready to go. You know what the Lord is going to say to to Ron Hamilton? 
He's going to say, well done. Well done. Well, I wish I could be that way. You can. You can. Turn away from the life of David, the flesh and all that junk. Turn towards God. Say, God, I want to follow you. And God will give you life everlasting. Let's bow our heads in prayer.